1: Hello and welcome to the B2B lead gem podcast for tech companies. My name is Jacob Löwenbrand. I'm the managing director of Brightvision as well as host of this podcast. Today, we have a very interesting and special guest with us, David Primer, founder and chief sales scientist of cerebral selling. And David is an award-winning research scientist, speaker, and author of the book, Sale, Selling the Way You Buy as well as founder of Cerebral Selling, which advocates modern sales training built on science and empathy. And it's really interesting to dive into these topics today with David. So with that said, welcome David to today's podcast.
0: Oh, thanks for having me here, Jacob. It's great to be with you.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited to pick your brain on all these kind of stuff you're an expert in and uh, have recently written a book about as uh, I said as well. But before we dive into today's topic, maybe you can give us a little bit of background. I know you have had a very interesting career with many things leading up to cerebral selling, which you're running now. So can you give us a little bit of background how we ended up becoming an expert in sales training?
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, the funny thing about sales is that no one really gets into sales on purpose. You know, people become doctors and accountants. You go to school, you go through training. But salespeople, you know, you could just fall into a sales career. And I was no different. I started my career over 20 years ago as a research scientist in in actually engineering, not even in anything psychology related, and ended up getting into a kind of a pre-sales consulting role at the turn of the dot-com boom, so around 1999, 2000, and absolutely fell in love with sales because, in a way, it was almost like an engineering problem. There was variables, and there was the human element and and winning and losing. And and it was just so interesting. And, you know, over the next 20 years, I spent my time across four uh, high growth B2B technology startups, Uh, three of those companies ended up getting acquired one which I helped start in 2008 was acquired by Salesforce where I came over and spent five amazing years just kind of seeing how the sales machines were built operationally and culturally at scale and I I took a lot of kind of that science and curiosity based background into my sales execution training my teams and helping them you know conduct their business in a more human way because and this is the, the underpinning of my practice today which is, you know, I realize people love to buy things. We all love to buy things as consumers or even in B2B, but most of us don't like talking to salespeople. And so really trying to pick that apart and trying to figure out how we can be the kind of salespeople that our customers love to talk to. We're effective, we're human. And the way to do that is by executing with tactics that are rooted in science and empathy. So that's what I do today in my practice. That's the journey.
1: Oh, that's so interesting. and. Of course, very uh, interesting to hear how that helped you to, you know, not only sell your startup to Salesforce, which is very few companies that have uh, uh, achieved. So that's so interesting. So um, why is it that you think science have been so important to understand the sales and the buyer uh, experience and how had that helped you to to Become an expert in this area. <laughs> yeah, well, for sure.
0: So there's a couple of things. I mean, number one, the way sales has evolved as a profession over the years is really, you know, by word of mouth, by passing tactics down from from you know from from teacher to student. And you know, when you think about as a consumer, the salespeople who you hate talking to the most, oftentimes, when people think about like what's when you think about the worst salesperson you can imagine, you think about. And I don't. I don't want to prime you. What, what's if you think about the worst salesperson you can imagine? What What do you picture in your head?
1: Probably a uh, used car salesperson. You know, lying to you, saying things are better than they are, <laughs> and giving you a one <laughs> special deal on it. You know, somebody you can't trust probably. <laughs>
0: That's right. Well, like, I'm glad to hear you say that because when I asked that question, I would say 99% of the time people say used car salesman. And yeah. that used car salesman existed almost in a different time where you as a consumer didn't really have a lot of information about that car that you were going to buy and the seller did. And so there was this element of mistrust and misalignment of information. Now that's almost gone away. We have tons of information and yet that still remains. Mm -hmm. And so as a, as a profession, we learn what we do just based on again, how we were taught, but how we were taught is, is rooted in nothing more than history, tradition. There's oftentimes no rigor associated with it, you know, and, and it doesn't necessarily align with the psychology of how people buy. And in fact, and I talk about this in my book, a lot of the tactics that we actually teach salespeople today have been shown to be counterproductive in terms of generating sales. So that, that's the first thing selling with science means taking a good look at what you're doing and making sure that those tactics are effective. But in all fairness to the used car salesmen of you know, many years ago, mm. a lot of the things that we're actually learning about buyer psychology, sales psychology, even kind of biochemistry of the brain is only been in the last five, 10, 15 years. Right, yeah. so we didn't know these things before. So now that we know them, we should be kind of casting off some of the old things that we were taught and, and embracing some of the new ways of selling that align with how people buy.
1: Ah, oh, that's so interesting. But how do you do when you research this? Do you compare buyer behaviors or have you metrics of some kind? Or how, how do you com- conduct your research in this area?
0: Yeah, well, a lot of it just has to do, you know, with uh, how people make purchasing decisions, because that's the whole idea is that as human beings, we make purchasing decisions. And I say, and I say purchasing decisions, almost in air quotes, you know, in terms of the technology we buy, the clothes we wear, the cars we drive, the vacations we go on, the people that we choose to have relationships with, you know, insurance, all of these things are rooted in a fundamental buyer psychology. And the idea is that if we can understand how people make these purchasing decisions and those pathways and mechanisms, then as sellers, we can align our sales motion to that. So we can sell to people the way people typically like to buy. And I'm not talking about a buyer journey. Oh, I do research online and then I Google you. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a very fundamental as human beings, how we make these purchasing decisions. And unfortunately, as buyers, those pathways and mechanisms are not often transparent to us. We make decisions all the time and we don't even realize why. And so the science helps us understand those pathways. And once you understand them, you can sell to people along those pathways.
1: That's so interesting. Let's talk about your latest book, Sell the Way You Buy, uh, which... uh Uh, Have uh, got really good response as I have uh, understood it from all the comments and all the great thought leaders uh, (laughs) Recommend it on your website. And uh, it's really interesting book Could you in a few sentences there just describe what's the main point of that book and uh, And you know start summarizing that a little bit for us.
0: Yeah, so there's there's really two concepts around sell the way you buy number one there's an element of empathy, meaning don't use tactics. If you're on the sales side, don't use tactics that wouldn't work on you if you were on the buying side. And oftentimes we think as sellers that we almost get to behave differently than we would if we found ourselves on the buying side of the equation, which is if you're listening to this now and if you're in sales or marketing, ask yourself, do you like talking to salespeople? And if the answer is no, then that means that to some extent, you don't like talking to people that do what you do. And so having empathy for the tactics, and this is actually kind of, you know, came to me at Salesforce and I love my time at Salesforce. It is an amazing sales culture, especially, you know, month end, quarter end, big revenue push. And I was going out to my teams and I was, you know, I was advocating for all of these sales tactics that were not unethical. They were not categorically ineffective, but then I would go back to my desk and other sales teams would try to sell me things because I was a vice president at Salesforce. People want to sell me things. And none of those things were working on me. So I said, you know, number one is this piece of empathy. It's like, don't use tactics that wouldn't work on you. But then sell the way you buy is also, like I said, about those pathways and mechanisms by which we make purchasing decisions. Things like feelings, value, emotions, um, you know, all of those things come into play. And so we actually, in the book, go very deep into how people actually make these purchasing decisions, and some of these things are, are actually quite surprising to people they don 't fully they appreciate uh, you know, how how nuanced the, the buyer decision making process is but that, those are the two things it 's empathy don 't use tactics that wouldn 't work on you then really getting into the mindset of how people buy but then the, the whole second half of the book is because you know in my practice, I primarily train you know, sales and marketing teams in these tactics. The second half of the book is. Very rich in messaging, discovery, and objection handling tactics that make use of these science and empathy-based pathways.
1: Yeah, so so interesting, so really interesting. And I know one example you brought up in the book there is that uh, you, you discovered at some point at Salesforce that the reason why your sales success in that sales team was uh, uh, was not in fact due to the method used, but rather in spite. Of your brute force uh, of, of the method, but by the sheer brute force, you actually achieved your quite uh, successful sales acceleration anyway. But uh, I think there's so much interesting there. Could you give a few examples of how you, how you see this uh, play out in reality in, in different sales environments and sales teams?
0: Yeah, well, like one of the simplest ones comes down to how you describe, and we were talking about this a little bit before we started here today, is how you describe what you do. So if I go to your company and I say, Jacob, at your company, what do you do? What do you say, right? And, and this is relevant for both sales and marketing because it, it influences the copy that goes in your website, things that go out in your marketing campaigns. It influences what salespeople say to their customers. Ooh. And it's a question that we get asked so often that we almost become desensitized to it. And so, for example, if you asked me, if you said, David, what do you do? And I say, oh, I, I train salespeople. You, what you would do is you would smile and you would say, that's nice. And you would just lump me in a category with the thousands of other people that train salespeople. Right. And but, so that the point is when I, you ask me what I do, I need to respond in a way that produces an emotional reaction in your mind, and so you, know, you would see this at Salesforce or even any really other company. When you ask, what do you do? They say, oh, we're a platform to do this. We're an agency that helps people drive leads, okay? There's a million agencies that help people drive leads, right? How am I supposed to figure out why I should say yes to you and keep talking to you? Like, why are you different? And that's the other problem is nowadays, this is you know, statistically, I talk about in the book, in 2011, in the marketing technology space alone, there were 150 vendors. And now in 2020, there's over 8,000. So mm-hmm. when I ask you what you do and you say, oh, we're an agency or where I train salespeople, I don't care because there's a million, million people that do what you do now. <laughs> and so one of the, 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 the easiest examples that I, I kind of teach and, and train my teams on is this idea of, it doesn't really matter what you do. People don't care what you do. They care about their prop. They don't even care about the benefits that you can provide. They care about their problems and they walk around thinking about their problems, whether they're they're top of mind or latent, more often than they think about your solution. So for example, if you said, David, what do you do? And I said, well, you know what? I work with sales teams who realize that people love to buy stuff, but they hate talking to salespeople. Right now, if you found that interesting, if that enemy of the the bad, horrible used car salesperson, if that invoked a certain degree of emotion in you, you're going to lean in and you're going to say... Tell me, tell me more. What is it? So tell me, what is it that you do? Right? Like t- tell me the next level. I'm interested. I do hate, I do love to buy things. I hate talking to salespeople, right? And so uh, the idea of like picking an enemy, right? Speaking the language of pain and challenge is more uh, effective than talking about even your solutions or benefits. So that's an example that, that most of us face every single day and say, you know, what do you do? That you can use emotion and science to kind of trigger that response in your customers.
1: That's so interesting. It it rings so true uh, as well. So uh, if you're a manager of an SDR team, where should you start? Which are the typical mistakes? Uh, I presume that talking too much product is, of course, one of them. But where do you start uh, (laughs) working with a team like that? And what are the typical things you see uh, or needs, needs to be fixed, so to say?
0: Well, I'm going, to get, I'm going to get pretty deep and cerebral on you right now. And I'm going to share a problem that I saw in my young... Now, I'm going to make the assumption that if you're running a BDR, SDR team, then those, those people, while they are very enthusiastic and very smart, they're young and they're often less experienced than the customers that they're calling on. Is that, is that fair to say, Jacob?
1: hmm yeah.
0: Okay. So what happens is when you take these young sellers and you pit them up and they're going toe to toe with these older, more experienced buyers whose job they've never done, a very strange thing happens. And I actually, I refer to this in the book. It's a concept that I call experience asymmetry, which basically speaks to this imbalance of experience. And I saw this firsthand at Salesforce when I would have, let's say BDRs, SDRs, sales reps who are younger, and they would make lots of calls. They would make lots of calls, lots of emails, but you would have reps who would have no pipeline to show for it. I mean, like, so I would go to them and I would say, Well, what's, what's going on? Is it, you know, do you not have enough people to call, not enough accounts? Are you calling at the wrong time? You're not calling the right people. And they would say, No, 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 we're, we're doing all those things. So I just had to start listening to their phone calls. And what I would do, and imagine this, okay, imagine you're the sales leader now, you're the marketing leader. You are listening to the calls that your BDRs and SDRs are having with the customers. I want you to just close your eyes. And I don't even care about the content. Don't care about the words. I just want you to listen for the tone. What does it sound like is happening on that call? And when I started listening to my reps calls like that, I found like I would turn to the rep and I would say, it sounds to me like you're bothering the customer. It sounds to me like you're afraid that you're not adding enough value because you're a young person. and Who is this this customer to listen to you? And so I, I can hear it in your voice, I don't, do, you have, do you have kids, Jacob? Yep, yeah, absolutely, three. So, <laughs> me too, and, and how old are your kids?
1: Uh, 11,
0: 14, and 16. Oh, nice, so I, my, my kids, are, I, got, I got almost 15 and 12 and, and eight. So here's the thing, when your kids come to you and they're about to hit you up for something, they're about to make a request, they want you to drive them somewhere, they want to download an app, they want a snack, can you tell, right, just right off the bat by the way they approach you?
1: More or less, yeah. yeah. That's right.
0: They're like, dad, and then you get immediately defensive. And you say, well, the answer is no. You know, they, What's your question, right? We can tell, human beings, especially parents and kids, we can tell when we're about to get pitched. Like we can feel it, right? And so when I listen to these phone calls from these BDRs, SDRs, and sales reps who are younger, I can feel it. I can feel that they are not confident in what they're saying. And that lack of confidence and lack of conviction is gonna translate into that call with the customer, and it's gonna be very off-putting for that customer. And they're gonna say no, right? Because they don't, they don't have that feeling. And so the first thing that I often work with with, with SDRs and BDRs is, is trying to figure out regardless of how do you how what you say, and what you say is very important, how do you manifest conviction around what you're selling and positioning so your customers feel it. And, I, and I, so I told you at the beginning of this answer, I was going to get pretty cerebral and existential pretty quickly. Yeah. But it's not so much always what you say, and what you say is certainly important, but it's how you say it. It's not what you sell, it's how you sell. Mm. And so this is the, the thing that often uh, plagues younger sellers, BDRs, SDRs, because older, more experienced buyers are very desensitized to taking these calls, unless they feel that the other person has passion and conviction around what they do, especially when you're in a sea of what I call sea of sameness, a sea of similar sounding solutions. There's lots of agencies out there. How are you going to break through and create that emotional connection? So a lot of it just starts with the tone.
1: Oh, that's so interesting. But is it fixable? I mean, to some extent that's experience taking years and years to to gain and so forth. Is do you think it's possible for for a more junior salesperson, so to say, to to become peer to peer on a call with a senior CIO or something like that, or have you managed to to help a client to achieve that result?
0: Absolutely, I know it's possible, and and the the trick to doing it is kind of a couple fold. You need to arm your reps with things that they can say that they feel really passionate about. So, for example, if you took let's say a young BDR SDR, and you said like, what? Forget forget our agency and what we do, what's one thing that you're really passionate about, right? You might say hockey, or you might say a specific kind of music or, uh, you know, an activity or a team or a a cause. And I would say, okay, I want you to talk about that thing for 10 seconds. Tell me why you're so passionate about that thing. And they're able to manifest the passion and conviction very naturally. So the key is how can we describe what we do and give them like hooks and, and tactics to manifest natural conviction around the things that we do every day. So that's one thing. The second thing is what I call uh, changing your phrasing. So one of the traps that a lot of salespeople fall into, are what I call I phrasing. So I get on the phone with the customer and I say, "Well, what I found, or what I feel, or what I've seen." And the reality is, if you're young and less experienced, no one cares what you think. Okay, you're not uh, you're not Oprah Winfrey. You know, no one cares what you think. So you have to learn to stamp that I phrasing out, and instead, you have to invoke the the, the credibility of the entities to which credit belongs. So, for example, I'll, I'll give you an example, but like customers, the 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 experience of our collective company, um, and articles in in prestigious journals, and so on. So, for example, instead of saying, "Well, what I found is that you know here's the here's the the three things that marketing agencies uh, get wrong," right? No one cares what I think, but I can say. Hey, look, you know, in our firm, we've been in business for 20 years. And over those 20 years, we've learned that there are three things that customers typically get wrong. Now, I can say those things on the first day of my job, because it has nothing to do with my personal credibility, right? Or I could say, you know, there was a a recent study in in Harvard Business that talked about the three things that agencies get wrong all the time. And again, I'm not presenting my own personal credibility. that's a credibility of other people. So you know those kinds of tactics where you're you're anchoring your statements on things where you're able to manifest this natural conviction you're able to invoke the credibility uh, of others is very powerful and then I'll give you like one last tip and I actually talk about this in the book is mm-hmm. you know we all like to share customer stories oh yeah you know, in our firm we worked with this customer and here was the impact they had the problem is the the stories that we often arm our sales and marketing teams with come from you know written accounts from slides, you know, oh, here's a slide that we have that talks about this great customer. And it's a case study. And it's very difficult for people to manifest conviction around something that was written. And in the book, I talk about a study that Adam Grant, who's a a very famous professor at the Wharton School of Business University of Pennsylvania did, where Mm -hmm. he actually had had a BDR team in the alumni department of the university. So the alumni department is, is tasked with calling on alumni and asking them for donations. And they say, hey, look, Would you like to make a donation to the alumni department? We're going to use this money to fund scholarships for all these great people. They found that when he brought in a student who was the recipient of one of these alumni scholarships, and he brought the student in to talk to the BDRs firsthand about the value and the experience that he got and what getting the scholarship meant to him and the trajectory of his career, the, the revenue from that BDR team increased over 400%. Because hearing it firsthand allows you to retell that story with a greater degree of passion and conviction. So those are just a few simple things. Now, again, these are a few simple things you can do, but these aren't the things that people typically think of when we say, oh, we need to get more productivity out of our BDRs. We think we need to train them and we need to tell them what our products do. And and those things miss the mark as far as being able to generate the conviction needed to convert customers.
1: Oh, that sounds so interesting. And uh, what a great example, yeah. I, I can for sure uh, understand that, that have passion, brings out passion in the BDRs in that alumni team. So great, great story there. And I know the book is so packed with other insights and tips and tricks and best practices around these areas. So definitely recommending that to our listeners to check that out at the Amazon we could go on for the whole day here David you have so much interesting to share but I know you're a busy guy we need to let you go on with your business and your day so it was so great but I know a lot of listeners would like to know more about you your company and your content and your books so where could we send them to check you out more
0: Yeah, so I mean, I actually give away a ton of stuff, almost everything for free uh, on my website, which is Cerebral Selling, just all one word, CerebralSelling.com. And you can find information about the book, which is called Sell the Way You Buy, uh, but you can get that anywhere you buy books as well. Um, And I give away everything for free, tons of articles, tons of content on the website, as well as I have a YouTube channel that's also called Cerebral Selling. You can look it up where I have dozens and dozens of free two, three minute short videos where I outline a lot of the tactics uh, that I've talked about today and from the book. So by all means, check it out.
1: Absolutely. I can highly recommend everybody to do that. So interesting. And uh, I will definitely go back and read more about your articles there. This is so interesting and very, very relevant for our listeners as well. So David, it was a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. So uh, thank you so much for sharing so freely of your insights and competence around this topic. So Yeah, and good luck with your uh, company and uh, all your business uh, practices around sales coaching and training and so forth.
0: Oh, my pleasure, Jacob. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Thank you for listening to Lead Generation Strategies for B2B tech companies. Don't forget to subscribe. You will find it where podcasts live. Discover how we can help you with your
0: lead generation activities at brightvision.com